Hello, and welcome to Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation's podcast, Let's Talk About Lung Cancer. Here, we delve into all things lung cancer, from different treatments to how people living with the disease cope, both physically and mentally, and the things that they've learned along the way. After the success of Series 1, available on all major podcast providers, we're delighted to be back with host Lorraine Dallas, as well as new co-host Mandy Lucas. Having been diagnosed with stage 3 lung cancer in 2016, Mandy hopes to bring a very personal perspective to the podcast. Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk About Lung Cancer. Today, I'm joined by Branwyn Howell, who was diagnosed with stage 3B lung cancer in 2018. Prior to her diagnosis, Branwyn was a primary school head teacher. It was a job that she loved, but sadly was forced to leave. And that's why we're going to talk to her about it now. So, hi, Branwyn. Nice to speak to you. How are you? Hi, Mandy. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Jolly good. You. Very That's good. That's really good. I'm really yeah. pleased. Yeah. So I'm going to hand straight over to you because I really want to hear your story. We're talking about working with lung cancer today. And I know yeah. you've got a very interesting story to tell. So I'm going to hand straight over to you so you can tell at your story. And then I'm sure I want to jump in with questions because that's the kind of person I am. So over to you, Branwyn. Please do, Mandy. And if I'm going off on tangents, just steer me back in the right direction. Tangents <laughs> are great. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, so I'm Branwen. Um, I was diagnosed, as Mandy said, with stage 3B lung cancer in June 2018. Um, at the time, I was working as a primary school head teacher. Um, yeah. I was. It took 18 months to be diagnosed. Um, with lung cancer um, because at 44 years old you don't fit any of the parameters or the criteria of of what it should be like and I didn't have a cough um, and I wasn't losing weight Um, I was exhausted and becoming more exhausted my legs and my hands were swelling up to a huge extent Um, however I somehow um it just wasn't pinpointed and so I'd collapsed at work 18 months before keeled over ended up in A&E um couple of nights in hospital where they thought it was heart um was put on beta blockers and then it was at the time when you still got letters for um appointments yeah and we had the audacity to go away on holiday in the Easter holidays for two weeks. So the letter for the heart appointment and the appointment were within the two weeks of the Easter holidays. And so when we got back, I'd missed the appointment. And so I was taken off um, from that thing and nothing, that department and nothing I said would get me being allowed to go back. Oh my word. On the beta blockers, which if I had another crisis, they would have seen me again, but the beta blockers were masking the effects of the lung cancer. So then I was able to self-fund myself and pay to go privately. And I saw a heart person who said my heart was fine. I saw apparently a world-renowned specialist in lung um, and respiratory who said it was a bit of asthma. Um, I was then... At any point during this, did you have a chest X-ray or a scan? So you still haven't had a scan or a chest X-ray at this point? Nothing, nothing at all. And um, as a head teacher, um, I was used to doing a 70 hour week. That's I'd cycle to work, 
my norm would be I'd cycle four miles to work, do my 70 hour week, cycle back, had a busy social life, exercised, life was fun, if not busy, if that makes sense. Um, it does. And suddenly I wasn't able to do all of those things that I was used to doing. So when I was going for my appointments, I was saying, there's something not right. And they were saying, oh, there's really nothing we can find. It's a bit of asthma. It's a bit of this. It's a bit of that. And eventually I went to see a rheumatologist privately who said, it's not rheumatology, but I also work in a hospital in London that I won't name. Um, and I'll bring you back under the NHS and we'll do a CT scan. So I had oh, a CT yeah. scan in the January of 2018 where he saw a bit of ground glass in my right lung. Yeah. And he said, this doesn't explain the symptoms, um, but I will rescan you in three months time. So I had another scan in three months time on a Monday. And then I was called as I was driving home from work um, on a Wednesday mm. and told that they suspected lung cancer and I needed to be referred on the two week wait of navigator pathway. And at that point, my whole world was tipped upside down. Um, the two week pathway took six weeks to get a PET scan um, because my referral, my faxed referral, never quite made it to Royal Marsden. Um, faxed. faxed. In 2018. 2018 uh, yep. from West Middlesex. Never quite made it. And so I ended up um, one day because I was still working at this point because. <laughs> You you have a school, you have responsibilities of 450 children. Especially have, as a head teacher. A head I mean, teacher. that's huge. Yeah. You've got a staff of 80. Um, you're managing a budget of 3 million. You can't just not go to work because you may or may not have, have a cancer. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I was trying to manage it all. Um, one day ended up just sitting in pals in the hospital saying, I don't understand why my PET scan hasn't happened. Uh, eventually had the PET scan just before May half term and we went away uh, walking on the cliffs in Pembrokeshire and was called as we walked on the cliffs in Pembrokeshire to say we needed to come back to London because my PET scan was lit up like a Christmas tree and from that point I've never been able to go back to work okay. so my school I was expecting that was so I had the PET scan results on the Wednesday. We drove home on the Thursday. I had the bronchoscopy on the Friday. And then I had an appointment with the oncologist on the Monday who said, yeah. you cannot go to work. You need yeah. to be as physically and mentally as fit as possible. Um, because I had, so at that point, I have to say the NHS was amazing. Absolutely. Um, so it took 18 months to be diagnosed. Then from that Monday, I then had my operation in three weeks time, which wow. was an eight, it was an eight hour operation um, because I had two thirds of my right lung and 18 lymph nodes in my chest removed, yeah. um, which is why the diagnosis was stage 3B. Um, then three months of chemo and then radiotherapy. And yeah. all the while going through all of that, my one driver because I couldn't really think about whether I'd live or die. That was too big a thought. 
So it that was just far too big in the whole thing. And yeah. my only thinking was, I want to get through this and then I want to be able to go back to work. Yeah. And I want to be able to get in my car at 6.30 in the morning and drive to school and do my job and have coffee with the admin lady I used to have coffee with in the morning and chat to everyone before. Just back to normality. You want everything to just go back, don't you? Meet and greet, do it all. And that was fully what I expected to happen. Yeah. Um, So when did you realise that that wasn't going to happen? So I at no point thought it wasn't going to happen. Um, I was aiming at, um, I had a scan in January where everything in January 2018, where everything looked good. Um, So I started to really um, try and feel better. Because as you know, Mandy, (laughs) you finish your treatment, you ring the bell. So from June the 26th to December the 18th, I was having treatment. So I had the operation. Then the 1st of August, my three months chemo started. Then as soon as that finished, I had my 35 refractions of radiotherapy. And suddenly it was December the 18th and Charing Cross at the time didn't have a bell. That I was most disappointed about because I wanted to ring the famous yeah. bell. Yeah. Um, you walk out of there and then you think, wow, what now? What next? What yeah. now? Um, so I was expecting to be able to be fit and healthy and be right back on it yeah and that doesn't happen not a chance (laughs) not a chance and at no point had I had really a conversation with anybody any medical professional because I think they're so determined and thank goodness they are to keep you alive and that that is their fundamental you know driver and I am very, very lucky that I was under Charing Cross and Imperial because they are world renowned for lung cancer. Yeah. And the five year survival rate of people with stage 3B lung cancer is still 3 to 7%. So the fact that I am still here, I feel now that I've had my final scan, I'm a bit shell shocked really that I am still (laughs) here. and can't quite believe I am. So I completely understand why that is their driver. However, I had not factored in how long it was going to take and still takes for me. And I don't think I ever will feel like I felt prior to lung cancer and prior to having so much of my body cut out. Absolutely. Prior to having the strength of chemo that I had and all of that. Um, but I was still very sure and very determined that I would go back to work. Okay. So I had to go and see occupational health, who I saw. Yep. And it was during my meeting with occupational health where she was quite surprised that I was still aiming at going back to five days um, on my return to work. And she was quite surprised that I was aiming at a return to work in September 218 uh, 219 um and she said you need to speak to your oncologist who i did who said you'll only ever be able to do three days a week interesting 
you'll never be able to do five days a week because of the nature of job of being a head teacher absolutely expectation of hours the expectation of responsibility and the expectation of workload so at that point i requested a meeting um with my chair of governors um to discuss where we stood with that three days a week return so i had the meeting an initial meeting in april yeah. which was a very low-key, relaxed meeting where the expectations were that I would be able to return to work um, on a very gradual return from October, building up to three full days in February 2020. Yeah. And so that's where I was. They then requested another meeting in May 2019, where... The whole discussion and the whole tilt of the discussion had changed. Yeah. Where I was being asked questions like, would I be able to guarantee that I'll be able to start a failed return in October? And will I be able to guarantee that I'll be able to do three days? Very unfair. Will I be able to guarantee that I'll be able to continue doing the three days, etc.? Um, no one can guarantee anything anything that's 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 very unfair yeah and my biggest regret in all of it was I was completely blindsided so I went into the meeting um, my partner who at the time was also a head teacher would have come with me if we'd expected that that was going to be the meeting absolutely yeah I'd also have requested my union to be in with me and I would have had the inkling of what was to come and so I would have said actually this meeting needs to stop but when I think back to the difference of how I am now physically and mentally from May 2019 of course having finished treatment to how I am now I was just absolutely I don't know where I was at I don't know. Your brain, your brain takes just, takes the beating. Just, chemo, yeah. chemo brain is a thing. It's not oh, it's just a made up thing. And it's a so, and it's chemo brain and and the fatigue of absolutely. chemo with lung cancer, particularly. I think um, because of the strength that they give you, particularly the younger age you are at diagnosis. Because obviously the Agreed. average age, you know, the average age of lung cancer diagnosis is 68. Um, so those of us like yourself, Mandy, who yeah. are diagnosed a lot younger. Yeah. Um, they then, I mean, my oncologist said we're throwing the kitchen sink at you. That's exactly so, what I was saying to me. When we go in for the operation, um, we will take out as much as we possibly can. And they took out all of the lymph nodes up to my heart that they could without damaging my heart yeah and with the chemo they gave me very similar to you the strongest chemo that they could possibly oh, give it, it I, I was very ill with the chemo actually yeah. I, I lost i lost my hearing in my right ear from it so I've got i know tinnitus. yeah i got i know tinnitus. yeah i can't it's muffled like someone's got their hand over my ear the whole time and tinnitus so yeah i that's from the um chemo. yeah yeah anyway, that's from yeah. the chemo so I yeah. totally get what you're saying. And, yeah. and what they did was very unfair, wasn't it? It was it was probably slightly 
not really allowed they should have given you warning and allowed you to arrange to take those people in with you and when when i look at the equality act now and think about it it's completely against the the equality because cancer is deemed as a disability absolutely however on the flip side you know a friend of mine said well you you know and the the ill the retirement the pension that i got with the enhanced pension i got because my prognosis was so bleak if that makes sense absolutely it um, does because of those statistics of 3 to 7% which is why you know as my friend from sunderland says a very uh, straight down the line lady said well they thought you were going to die so they just gave you the money because they didn't expect you to still be here exactly and, you know that's the truth of the matter um and i think in some ways that was the thinking that it would be the best for the school because there was no guarantees that i would be well enough to work and yeah the, and the how do you feel was, about that how do you feel about that then and how do you feel about that now it's only i've been very depressed yeah i've been I lost all sense of value. I lost all sense of worth. I lost a career that I absolutely loved and thrived yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, I loved all that being ahead was um, in terms of being a people person, but also being very organized and system focused and creative and and being able to coach people and lead people and my school community was an area of high deprivation um in west london yeah and being a little girl from north wales um to moving to being a head teacher i didn't move from wales to here to be a head teacher i moved down here in 2000 to give london a go for a year yeah um, and here you are as, as a teacher and have loved it so much and sudden and loved being part of that community we have easy to understand free information booklets on all different types of treatments for lung cancer our jargon free information can help answer any questions you may have about treatment and provides an insight to what to expect download or have a copy posted to you visit roycastle.org forward slash information booklets do you feel like you're do you still have any contact with that community no um because because it happened the way it happened um was i for the new heads it was such a shock to the school because the expectation was that i would be able to go back both from myself but also from the staff and the children and everybody yeah and it was such a shock to the school and i'd been part of the school i was head for five years that was my next question yeah five years five years and i've been deputy head for two years before that so i've been in the school for seven years and we moved i joined the school when it was still quite rocky so we'd moved the school from requires improving to good and then when we had our last offstead it was good with outstanding features and it was in a really really good settled space that's amazing um and then obviously your head teacher suddenly expecting to go into work on the Monday can't. And so suddenly, 
you know, a friend of mine came and supported the school as an executive head and my deputy and my assistant head had to step up rapidly. Yeah. But it's got a massive destabilizing effect. Absolutely. I get so that. I can understand why the governors and I don't know the involvement of HR and I don't know the involvement of the local authority, but I can understand in terms of stability for the school, why having somebody back with a possibility of being here in a few years time very low may not have been deemed as the best thing for the school. So did, in the end, did you leave by mutual consent or did you feel very pushed out? How did that work? And do you feel like you got any support at that stage? Not from the school at all. Really? Um, it was very much... Um, was it like they made the decision and you're going or was it was yeah it was very much because i i offered i i in that meeting in may i asked if they weren't prepared to have that phased return i was what i i asked if i could do a year's unpaid sabbatical with a view to coming back straight in on three days a week um oh, with, yeah that's a lot and i would have taken that as unpaid if that made sense wow. um because i I was very sure and passionate and driven and motivated that I still that. wanted to very much be part. And that's my career and that's what yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, and it was a no. It was a complete no on that one. They've made a decision over your they, head and the they, conversation decision, was just yeah. how, to, how to make it happen. Yeah. And so I then left uh, the meeting devastated, um, handed it over to my union rep who negotiated a three-month settlement agreement. So it cost the school more yeah. um, than it would have done if I'd taken the year's unpaid sabbatical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and was given no support from anyone in HR, anyone in, in anything of the school in any shape that's, or form. That's very surprising, isn't it, that, that um, they've conducted so, themselves in that way? I think, you know, I can... Putting my head teacher hat on, if I had a member of staff with that possibility prognosis. and yeah. prognosis, would I have made different? It's really hard to say. You don't know. You can't really put it's yourself really in that position. It's really hard to say now you? because having been through it, I would certainly make a different decision. But I, the destabilising effect on the school of me leaving has been huge anyway yeah. Yeah. and in terms of my the effect on me I think until I got my uh no evidence of disease uh recently and I congratulations thank you very much <laughs> it's um, nice isn't it <laughs> oh it's amazing yeah and it is only since I got to that and I suddenly realized that out of 20 people who had stage 3B non-small cell lung cancer diagnosis in June 2018, I may well be the only one who's still alive. Yeah. And so having spent the last four years being really sad and really upset and devalued and... yeah paying a fortune in therapy bills, uh, thank goodness for my therapist. Um, I sort of 
you know, I use the phrase, put my big girl pants on, but I, that's Absolutely. not, you know, that's not doing, you know, I've spent a lot of time being very sad and very angry. And that was and my next question, just, really. You know, it was all, yeah. How did you cope? And it sounds like you coped with, as you said, being sad and angry and getting a good therapist to really get to the root of how you were feeling. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I did the same if it was any consolation. I, I needed a a lot of help. I was in a very negative place when when lung cancer, you know, once I was discharged from hospital with my six monthly um checkups, like you kind of feel a bit lost, don't you? And everyone thinks it's so such good news because you've finished your treatment, but that's only really the start of it. You've got another five years. Um, and that's a bit I found really hard to come to terms with. I don't know how you cope with that. Uh, badly, I would mm -hmm. say. Badly. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, COVID being part of that. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know about you, I was advised to shield. Yep. Um, so the reality, I mean, <clears throat> you know, now that I'm five years and I can look at it with some distance, the reality is I would should have been starting back to work on three days a week in February 2020. COVID really hit March, April 2020. March, I, yeah. would, I wouldn't, you know, school, it, it, the likelihood of me still being here five years down the line if I had gone back to work could have been very slim. Absolutely. So you, you start thinking philosophically that these yeah. things happen for a very good reason. And actually, yeah. twist life has twists and turns, but sometimes you need to leave it to, you need to let trust the process sometimes, don't you? Oh, that is very therapy speak. <laughs> but you do, you have to trust it. I'm um, a little bit of a control freak, so trusting doctors. Yeah, uh, I, had a, I had a very difficult diagnosis too. I won't go into it now because this is not about me. Um, but I had a difficult diagnosis and so trusting doctors was yeah. very hard, but you sometimes have to, yeah, I have been through therapy. It changed my life. So yeah. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. But in, in terms of the logistics of how, how your early retirement on medical grounds went, they basically offered you uh, a settlement agreement, a comp like, and you Com took that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I left the meeting, I called my union and I said, what, what, what just happened? Because within that meeting, the HR person said, you're very unlikely to qualify for ill health retirement from teacher's pension. Why? Because... How much iller do they want you to be? <laughs> and I think this was an, a miss, a miss, this was somebody without a medical background, if that Absolutely. makes sense. Yeah. Who was, who was. Um, seeing me presenting in a meeting in May and you know and I know you can put a face on and you can put a face on for 20 minutes and you can just manage and he was seeing me in a very different way to the way the reality of what life was like um, so I left thinking I'm not going to be able to get ill health retirement and I'm not yeah. I don't know what to do so my union, the NHT, negotiated a three-month settlement agreement, which the school had to pay. Yeah. Which I thought would be what I have, because having gone through the benefit system, because I'd been off for more than a year, I was on zero salary, 
Um, I understand I was very lucky to have had the six months and the six months half pay, which is another conversation. The support that people get having cancer is virtually non-existent. Absolutely. If you are in the teaching profession or other things, you are very lucky. Um, but I was on zero pay. You don't get any benefit support if you own a house. Um, it's only if you're renting. And it looked like we may have to lose our house. Um, because of how it was working so I had three months pay and then had to go through the process of applying for the ill health retirement having heard from HR I was very unlikely to get it now I did get it um, you have to fill in lots of forms o occupational health filled in their view of whether I'd be able to do the job which was a big fat no um, my oncologist did a report for me. My GP did a report for me. Everybody was saying that um, they felt I would be able to go back in X amount of times. Um, however, at the moment, it would not be possible and they couldn't guarantee when it would be that I could go yeah. back. Yeah. Um, so then in November 2019, um, I got... A letter um, from Teachers Pensions saying that I had been accepted, um, which on the one hand was fantastic because mm. financially we were secure, if that makes sense. That's fantastic. Um, and I'm a huge relief. Huge relief. I'd had. Yeah. So not only was I eligible for pension at the point that I retired at 45. They also did an enhanced pension. So I got half of, so I should have worked till I was 68 because you do have teachers and head teachers on Zimmer frames these days. So uh, I, I got half of, <laughs> can you imagine a reception teacher <laughs> at 67? You With know, all those children, it does, yeah, yeah, no. It does amuse me. No. Um, so I uh, was also had the enhanced, which financially is fantastic. You know, it yeah. gives opportunity. It it means we're secure. We were able to pay off the mortgage. We were, you know, it it completely changed what we were looking at in terms of uh, being able to to live financially. Yeah, yeah. but the um, but coming, isn't there? The teachers' pensions caveat is really different to anything. Um, any other pension that's given so for example in the health service if you get the type of pension that i've got and you're then able to work in a different type of job for a few hours eventually yeah. you are then able to go and do it if that makes sense um okay so there's no penalties for for picking no, a job later later on not in you can't i don't think go and do the same no. job yeah. Um, and you can't if you could go back at 100 percent of the time you were doing it, there would be penalties. But if you can go back a little bit, then it's fine. Um, That's interesting. But with teachers pensions, you have to inform us immediately in writing before any type of employment is undertaken, whether paid or voluntary. What? As we will wow. need to okay. review your continued entitlement to ill health benefits from the teacher's pension scheme. So that was one of my questions. Now you're net, Ned, no yeah. evidence of disease. 
have you considered going back to work? But this is what you're leading up to now, I think. I would love to. And and um, I would love, I absolutely understand that I can't go back. I, I don't think I could go back anything near the three days that was actually originally muted, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think now that I've made it to five years, hand on heart, I do and am able to understand and process and accept better, not totally, that part of the reason why I'm still here, I think, is that I didn't go back to work. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I'm still somebody who wants to have a sense of purpose. And I'm still somebody who being able to help the other and to make a difference is a very important driver to my life and who I am. Yeah. Um, and the the aspect of the voluntary, you know, schools are crying. I went and met a friend today for a coffee who's a head teacher. Um, and she said, you know, schools can't employ consultants now because there isn't the money to employ them and I totally understand I will never earn a penny ever in my life and that's fine do I wish I could go in and help new head teachers for free do I wish I could go and help schools that are failing and really struggling and be an extra pair of eyes for free yeah yes I do, do that's I very wish... generous that's very generous oh, of you and I do treated. and it's not oh I love it I love yeah. it. I absolutely yeah. being able to be part of a community and to be able to make a difference. So the children in the community that I served when I started in the school wasn't in great shape. Yeah. Everyone would say, oh, these children come from X school. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And people laughed when I said I was joining the school as a deputy head because it was deemed as all of this. And by the time I left, Children were like, wow, those children, they do so well in high school. They understand we had the John Perrin way, which is a way of being and behaving and yeah. all of that. And it, it's just, it's so exciting to be part of. And it's so such a shame. Our online support sessions are a great way to meet and chat to people who truly understand what it's like to have lung cancer. Leave your brave face at the door and talk openly and freely about how your diagnosis is affecting you. To find out more, visit roycastle.org forward slash online support. So there's nothing you can do right now. You obviously don't think you'll work again. Would you Would you want to though? Would you want to get a, a part-time job or um, if, if you I, I able? Would, I would... I have no issue with not being able to be paid for work does that make yeah. sense I have it I have totally does no issue whatsoever I'm doing voluntary work um for a charity called Mission Remission which okay. is that gap that you and I were earlier talking about um where you finish your treatment mm -hmm. and then there's nothing there to support because the other charities tend to focus on supporting you during treatment they're, they're less able because there's such a need during that time to support after. And I read an article by Laura, the person who set up the charity um, a couple of years ago, and it just resonated so much with me about this gap that there yeah. is and the need for it. Um, and so I'm doing 
voluntary work with them. Um, so I'll do a couple of hours, maybe two days a week, um, where I'm doing safeguarding. Um, I'm doing some coaching for people. I'm supporting the charity. We managed to get a lottery funding um, to be able to do mindfulness and coaching and book groups that's, and all that's great stuff. yeah um, for people who finish treatment who are feeling lost and isolated and unsure, like we were like we were totally yeah. and utterly yeah and unsure as to what it is that you can do next when you've lost all sense of dignity all sense of value and you don't know how to live really because you're such a different person yeah what I felt anyway I yes. don't know about you um so I do that um which I'm really enjoying doing because that's good it's a grassroots charity so I'm part of the strategic thinking which is what I miss um yeah. I also volunteer for Cancer Research UK um and the Pfizer charity Pfizer are doing an insight group um but they're much more come to us be on the insight panel tell us your insights and experiences of cancer yeah you're not actually strategically thinking of absolutely how to make a difference to people they're harvesting harvesting your um intelligence to put yeah. it into um a program of some description at some point yeah i get that i know what you mean but you are i mean you're obviously making a making a difference to those charities that you work for which is amazing has that given you back do you feel a sense of worth now? Do you feel like you've you you're you're doing something? You know, you, you're fulfilling your role as a giver, which is obviously what you are in this world. Do you feel like you're in some way giving back, to, like you used to? It's getting there. Um, Good. It's getting there. Um, Good. You know, I think it's the double whammy of the mindset change post NED. And the uh, um, st and the finding of this charity and them involving me in my confidence growing and feeling Absolutely. like I have a voice and all of that sort of thing, which is what an an identity, uh, which is what we get from work. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely getting there. That's fantastic. Um, you know, if anyone else ever told me they were in the same situation I was put in, I would support them every step of the way to be given more support but I would also be able to have the honest conversation about the reality of of what the person's job is and having can you actually really go back and do it and can you exactly. do it right by the establishment yeah um, but it has taken me five years to even be able to utter that sentence yeah it's interesting yeah I mean it's interesting but you've, you've come such a long way in those five years and I suppose one question I wanted to ask you is how do you now feel about what happened to you in terms of your you know your enforced retirement and not working how do you feel about that are you have you come to terms with it are you still angry about it do you feel I'm, like as it, it's kind of linked to my last question do you feel like you've moved on from there I'm I'm still devastated um I'm 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 and my therapist uh and I discussed how it it's a bit like the grieving process mm -hmm. in that you're grieving for the life um, you had the the life you had 
Mm. Um, and the love of something that just, yes, it was stressful. Were there days I came home and went, oh, my goodness, what a day that was. Yeah, I never you want know, to go back. Yeah. I know, <laughs> no, you know. Yeah. Oh, did I love being able to go for walks on the Pembrokeshire Cliffs and go, wow, this is so different? Yes. But yeah. did I love recharging the batteries and then going back in and yeah. doing it all? Yes, I did. And I will all, you know, people say, oh, when you're on your deathbed, what will your regrets be? Um, and touch wood. For both of us, Mandy. Uh, yep. Not for a while yet. Absolutely. Um, I will Cheers always, to that. always regret that it was done in the way it was done. Yeah. I will always regret that I wasn't given the opportunity to still be involved with the school. Absolutely. With, um, on a voluntary basis, unpaid, just to be part of it. Um, it's such a shame because it's their loss as well. And that's that's the pity of it. It was the it was you know, and I was asked not to contact staff, um, and I was asked not to be involved, and it was made very clear um, when a new head started a couple of years ago that I was not to be part of anything, which I can understand because you have to gain the respect for yourself. And I was, yeah, you know, Miss Howell was harsh but fair was the uh, discussion that. You know, the parents knew that I was there for the best for them and the best for their kids. And, you know, I had travellers in my school. I had lots of Somali parents. I had yeah. British. I had, you know, a massive range of different cultures. And they knew that they could come and talk to me. They could trust me. But I would tell them how it was. You know, there was no nonsense about it. So, the, so there is still a well of deep sadness. Uh, that there is. You know, but you you have to almost try and look at the bigger picture. And as you said, when we were first talking, would you and I ever choose to have been in the situation where we get told we got lung cancer and our world absolutely falls apart? Yeah, it's so in, it we, implodes, doesn't it, with that, oh, with that sentence? Yeah, you know, and, and you just, and it's like the jungle drums beat. Every meeting you have in the short term, it's worse and worse and worse. Um, but, you know, you keep going. Um, you do. And I would still and it's a, it's, keep them going. You know, it's but testament it's, to your resilience and the fact that you have, you know, from that experience of having lung cancer and then, I mean, you took early retirement, but you were made to take retirement, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, to where you are now you should be so proud of yourself for how far you've come um yeah, you know by no but, means yeah but that's you no, know honestly but you and I talk you know you hate the word brave proud oh, you're just like you just do it you know you you either you just you just do it um and at some point you know I've contacted a solicitor who's written to teachers pensions four times to try and get clarity um on this volunteer phrase so that yeah I don't, you know I don't come a cropper you know no that's the last I, thing you need you know of, of being caught because I'm doing a couple of I my thinking is if they if I am penalized for doing voluntary work for a cancer charity then there's something really wrong in the systems that we have <laughs> uh, um, absolutely it, you know it seems ridiculous to me that I can't 
for free support schools because all the skill set, you know, everyone's taxes are paid for my training. And now it's just wasted. You can't use it. Yeah, it's a real shame. As, as I said before, no. it's definitely their loss. Um, and um, last question is, how are you feeling in yourself? Do you feel well? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think I still have days where um, I get tired. Um, I managed to get COVID finally in March. Um, which I, I thought I'd be fine because I'd had all the jabs. Um, I was eligible for the antivirals. So I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Everyone says yeah. it's like cold. Absolutely floored me. Yeah. Um, and it's damaged the the third of my right lung I've got left. It's done stuff too. Um, yeah. So that has knocked me back quite considerably. Yeah, I bet. Um, I have to say. Um, but, you know, I get out of my bike. I've got an electric bike. I get out Fantastic. of my bike, I cycle around Richmond Park. We got a motorhome. We're about Lovely. to go um, to France for five weeks to follow Wales in the Rugby World Cup. Oh, amazing. Uh, I don't think we'll be there for the quarterfinals, but it's just an excuse. <laughs> it's an excuse to go and spend five weeks in France. Where is the optimism? Come you know. on now. <laughs> it's Come an on, excuse Bramley. to spend five weeks in France, touring around um, and, and just have a laugh. So Sounds you know, fabulous. I mean, any and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd still been working, you know. Yeah, so, so it's, it's a win. reflection. It's a win. Yeah. And as yeah. I said, you know, I will be. I am the one out of twenty lucky person, as are you. And you know, Precisely. Think, you know, if anything from this podcast, I want to give people out there who maybe at the beginning of all of this have you know have hope. Um, and yes, losing my job. Oh horrific 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 but things come along and you know fate i've got a word for fate and it has another f as part of it but i won't say it out loud. okay yeah okay let's <laughs> not say that word but yes i won't say it out loud you know because i'm like oh fate but actually yes. you know it does seem the planets collide the universe explodes and new things are formed. I yeah, and I think you, you I think you have a hand in your own fate. So I really I do believe in fate. Yeah. But I do believe that you can also change fate. But if it's meant to be, there's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah. You can't stop those wheels in motion. If you if you can change it and you try and change it and things slightly skew, then that's good. You've managed to change something, as yeah. in you going you know you being persistent and actually getting your diagnosis and yeah. from 3b to any to ned that's a huge turn of fate isn't it yeah but sometimes things are mapped out and like you said if you hadn't if that all hadn't happened as dreadful as it was you would be going to france for five weeks would you <laughs> not at all not at all so, in any yeah. shape or form and so you you know you you gotta take yes i'm devastated yes yeah financially Yes, I got a decent payoff, but compared to my earning at the time Absolutely. and my potential earning of where I would be five years down the line, it's not a pat yeah. on it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But, but there you go. Yeah, so well, it's good to see you look, and you're looking so well. So it's lovely to, <laughs> to uh, see you looking so well and have an amazing time in France. Thank you very much. I will do. Hope you get to the quarterfinals and uh, keep in touch because it's been lovely chatting to you. Yeah, be really good. It'd be really good to keep in touch. 
For support and advice on any of the topics raised in this podcast, visit roycastle.org. The Let's Talk About Lung Cancer podcast is out every fortnight. Past episodes are available to download on all major podcast providers. Don't forget to like and subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode.